Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 156. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so uh, we have the start of a new shocking two-parter. I don't believe it. Two? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have an interview, and it's a two-parter. We should almost expect that from now on. Seems that way. Yeah. We have a returning guest, Josh Duffney, and he's back to talk about a book that he wrote. When was it that we had him uh, originally on? It was, I feel like it was April 2021, episodes 123 and 124-ish. Okay, awesome. Super excited to have him back. Really smart guy, prolific reader and prolific writer. And he wrote a book called How to Take Smart Notes with Obsidian. And uh, really interested to talk about that with him. You know, in listening to this uh, episode, Nick, what did you uh, get out of it? Well, one of the things that hit me the hardest was this idea of drowning in information. Josh will tell you as you listen that he was drowning in information and needed to make a change. I just feel like that I felt that way a number of times, most recently in the last three or four months. I like the idea of slowing things down, but then on the tail end, actually speeding them up. And you'll see what I mean as we progress through the conversation in part one. Yeah, yeah, totally. How about you? That yeah, for me, it w- you know maybe I should you know take a step back and be a little bit more explicit about what it's about. Like uh, Josh uh, read a book from I think Sunka Arns called How to Take Smart Notes, and then um, wanted to write a book that's a little bit more like boots on the ground, how to actually implement this uh, smart notes solution in a free uh, software, uh, specifically Obsidian. And, um, you know, just that outlining that process of taking smart notes, like that methodology, like was really exciting for me to hear because it's something that kind of I had, I had read the same book. And unfortunately, I think it's maybe a little bit too obvious how excited I was to talk to somebody else about it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's just really fascinating to hear how it affected him like you know the the context of you know how he came to it and so on and so forth but the more i talk about it the more i'm i'm delaying from actually getting to the episode and maybe we should actually listen to episode 156 part one with josh duffany Josh Duffney, welcome back to the Nerd Journey. Thank you for having me back. Glad to be here. 
Can you remind us uh, who you are and what you do and who you work for? Sure. Yeah. So name's Josh Stephanie at Josh Stephanie on Twitter. I am a senior content developer at Microsoft and I have been for or will be for one year, January 4th of next year. So very, very soon approaching that one year mark, which blows my mind. Time went fast. Yeah, it sure did. You know, when we last spoke, Josh, that was back in episodes 123 and 124. In fact, if you're playing Nerd Journey Bingo out there, Josh Duffney would be only the second repeat guest on Nerd Journey. And if you can tell us the first, in fact, tweet out the first repeat guest on Nerd Journey to add Nerd Journey. And the first three people who do that, John and I will make sure you get some Nerd Journey stickers. Nice. But Josh, you're actually back because you wrote a book. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a book on my way to write a different book on accident. And that is what we're about to talk about, what we'll talk about today. <laughs> nice. And I actually uh, got a copy of your book and read through, like really enjoyed it, how to take smart notes in Obsidian. But maybe you can tell us what kind of the motivation of writing the book was. I was drowning in information. Um, and I, so in the reason I, kind of went down this note-taking journey, which has been what I've been obsessed about for like the last better part of a year really, was mm. I, I went to go and write my first nonfiction book after I wrote my first technical book. Um, I've done a lot of stuff in productivity and digital minimalism and well-being and stuff that I wanted to kind of crystallize into a book. And uh, I bit off way more than I could chew at the beginning. And it's the last year has just been me plowing through trying to learn how to read or trying to learn, well, one of them's reading, but how to learn how to write a nonfiction book of that caliber, what I want to do. And I realized to hold all this information, I couldn't just have it in my head. I'm not to that level yet. I needed to rely on some kind of external scaffolding. And that's where I stumbled upon uh, smart notes. And that's what led me down this journey. That's amazing. So it was the goal to produce content in a more structured way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And how did you stumble onto this? Like, obviously, you know, productivity, you know, there's a, a bunch of different, you know, schools of thought about that, you know, from getting things done to, you know, other systems. But then you came to this like smart notes system. Like anything, word of mouth, really, uh, and repeated word of mouth. So I'm very, uh, I'm one of the kind of like, what is the Seth Godin curve? I'm one of the laggards of adoption. I let a lot of people filter out the noise for me. And so I think two years ago, three years ago, my manager at the time, He's like, hey, you're really into this productivity thing. You should read this book, How to Take Smart Notes. He had read it. It just it had just come out. And I was like, notes, whatever. I'm not going to, like, what about notes? You know, just like, I pushed it off immediately. And so, like, it kept resurfacing on Twitter and it kept resurfacing elsewhere. And then I saw this tweet from uh, a person who runs a very successful newsletter that I followed and, and admired. And she was talking about smart notes. And I was like, all right, I'll give this uh, a look. And so I downloaded the preview on Kindle and I was like, this is exactly what I need right now as I'm, I've just consumed like six different books and I'm trying to take that knowledge and put it into a way that, that forms an argument and forms what I want to write about. And so it gave me this, this way, this method, right? And so I, I have a, a really technical background. And so it gave me almost in a way, a promise of a way of reverse engineering the process of writing. And so I just like latched onto that, uh, um, you know, hook, line and sink sinker uh, and uh, dove right into smart notes. And just to set the context, 
Josh writes all the time because in his day job, he is a content developer for Microsoft. So you write documentation there and then you write your nonfiction slash technical books on the side. Yep, that's right. And so I'm writing all the time and uh, that fear of the blank page has always just annoyed me. And, and so like my writing process was really, really slow when I first started at Microsoft. And that's what I've been spending the last year is just learning how to write fast and how to decompartmentalize the different phases of writing. And right after reading comes note taking. And then if you have a pile of notes and a way to, to bring them back to the surface and find them, you never have to worry about not having an idea. You always have something to write about. And that's kind of the promise behind it. Uh, and what really, really hooked me onto it other than organizing my thoughts because I, I was starting to get a lot of anxiety around just all the things I was keeping in my head all the time about the arguments that I wanted to make or the technical articles that I was writing. Uh, the technical articles are, are little are smaller in scope, so it's easier to fit in your head. But just kind of like a software, like an enterprise application, once you get beyond like three or four different code bases and how they work together, you need some kind of external thing to externalize that knowledge that you can go back to. So you have these checkpoints because you just can't keep all those mental models in your head. Uh, and that's what I've started to leverage smart notes to do for my writing. I find it really interesting um, and probably had the same issue with you. Like the, the, the book, um, how to take smart notes is really kind of the American publishers title, right? Cause the, it's originally written in German and the title was Zettelkasten right? Which doesn't really it doesn't translate sell. well. Isn't that a rock band? <laughs> no, it is. It is not. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know. I think it's like the literal translation is something like slip box. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. And it's kind of like akin to what you'd think of as like, like a 1980s, like index card, like box, like that you would find in a library. You know, if you're like looking up books, like I, I, if you are younger than 30, you might not know what I'm talking about at all, <laughs> listener. But um, you used to have to go like look up a book in this like, pile of note cards, and then it would tell you where in the library it was located. But like originally, I guess the system was a pile of cards with index numbers on them, like with ideas in them, right? Yep. So when... The, uh, the publisher said, you know, how to take smart notes. It it almost like did like a disservice to just the entire basis of the idea, right? It's like, it's almost like how to think and write better and more productive, more productively, you know, is kind of the point of the, the book, right? Yeah, a lot of the true Zettelkasten practitioners, especially if you go to the Zettelkasten subreddit, if you mention smart notes there, they'll bring up that point uh, more abruptly than you, than you did and draw that distinction and make it very clear that smart notes should be not capital letters. They're just notes and it's it's about writing and thinking and organizing your knowledge and not necessarily about quote unquote smart notes. And I think a lot of people get hung up, myself included. I did it in the beginning with the notion of smart notes and then the permanent note. It puts so much pressure on that, you know, evergreen permanent note or whatever it is, uh, when really it should be, your notes should improve through iteration as you learn to take better notes. Note taking is a skill that you improve and there isn't just one format for a smart note. It's more about using them to think better and to organize your knowledge. So what is the process as you understand it or as you practice it? Sure. So the, like the basic notion is that there are several types of notes. And so if you can understand that and you understand that they each serve a different purpose, um, you'll do yourself a good service if you 
keep them separate. So you have fleeting notes, which I would just kind of call a journal where you're, you're taking very short, brief notes. Maybe you're listening to a podcast and you want to jot down some kind of like idea that you had or something pops into your head on a walk. So I keep a field notes journal with me or, you know, a little pocketbook with me all the time. And that's what I do my fleeting notes in. You can use it in whatever tool you want. So Obsidian is the tool that I've chosen to integrate the knowledge base in. So they're, they have a mobile app so you could take notes on that. So that's the fleeting note is really just to capture ideas and tasks and stuff. And they're meant to be processed within a day or two. He even says in the book, Asanke, I believe is how you say his first name, Aaron's um, might mm-hmm. be the appropriate uh, the pronunciation of the last name um he says he even uses napkins so it like anything you can really write on is is uh suitable for a fleeting note it's really just to capture um any kind of idea or task or insight uh and then you process them within a day or two and they become different types so it might be a reminder to read a book that was mentioned in a podcast it might be to do your taxes it might be this insight that you have for a chapter title or something like that uh and then there's another type of note which is the literature note and this was the one that I was probably least familiar with. And it's really taking notes while you read. So turning reading from a passive activity into an active activity. So as you read, you engage with the material in some way. Um, Lumen, who is the inventor of the smart notes, aka Zettelkasten method, um, he would take brief notes on an index card as he would go along. Another term for that is index of ideas. So as he would read a particular passage, he would try to summarize it uh, and and write down a brief reminder for him with a page number noted on this index card so he could go back through and take more in-depth notes later if he wanted. Um, but really, it was a way to index the book. There's other ways you can do that. Another great book, uh, How to Read a Book, will tell you how to mark up a book. So as you, you, know, you underline or put bars on the side or write in the margins, that's all kind of making the book your own, and those are literature notes. Um, and those are kind of like the most fluid ones where you can interact with the book as you go along. They're the less intrusive, but then there's other methods like the SQR XYZ method or X method. So there's SQR three, five, and he jokes and how to take smart notes that there might be seven and eight. And really the R's are like how, how much you review and question and reiterate over the literature. Um, but really that makes you think critically of the tests text and ask questions and answer them and take notes and then review your notes. Uh, and so those are all types of literature notes that help you better understand the text. So literature notes are their, their primary purpose is to help you get more familiar with and understand uh, the literature itself. I use those heavily when I'm reading technical books. So when I'm, I just picked up go. So the go pro- programming language, I took probably six or seven pages worth of literature notes just to help me understand like what this particular Go term means. What is a Go package? What is a Go module? And then there's permanent notes. Uh, And that name, like I mentioned before, is a little bit misleading, but really those are the notes that you want to keep forever. They're permanent as in they're kept forever, but they're malleable where you can update them as your understanding evolves. But those are the types of notes that go into your your Zettelkast and your Slipbox. Um, And in in Obsidian, that would be called a, a vault. And that's where your knowledge base is built. And then there's a whole process for adding the notes into that slip box and connecting them. But those are the general three different types of notes in the, the Zettelkast and our smart notes uh, note-taking methodology. What I found interesting about this idea was this goal of basically extracting this knowledge that you're coming across as you're ingesting it and then kind of pre-digesting it into your 
knowledge base, right? And it seemed like the goal, the end goal was to kind of have this knowledge base or information base that you then look at and go, oh, this is the stuff that I found really interesting. And therefore that's what I should write about. Yeah, that's the, the, the promise really is that once you've dedicated the time to build this knowledge base, you'll be able to look into your slipbox for ideas. Um, and not only the, just for ideas, but a, a bulk of the writing will have been done for you. So that way you can string them together in an argument or in, in a, even a tutorial if they're technical notes, and you can write that blog post or you can write that chapter or write that book. Got it. So it's almost like your article or blog post, for example, would be, you know, three different uh, permanent notes that you've kind of written out ahead of time. And maybe then you uh, do some editing to make it flow together to to uh, to prove a point or to support an argument that is written specifically for the blog post. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. And then you'll 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 find the truth in uh, there is no writing. There is only rewriting. So as you take those notes and you try to bring them into a different text, you're going to see that they need transitions, that your understanding isn't as clear as you thought it was. Uh, but at least you have a starting point, right? And you've collected that knowledge to a degree that you can move around. Um, that was another really eye-opening part. When you get this knowledge kind of out of your head and onto the screen or paper in some way, you can externalize it and move it around and understand it in a way that you can't when it's just in your head. Now, this information, it can come from, I mean... You mentioned that you like to mark up physical books mm -hmm. and write in the margins and, and do it that way. But it can come from electronic media too, right? An article you read on the website, on, on a website, somebody's blog, a book. Is there more powerful remembering from actually doing the writing it down first and then putting it into Obsidian? Or what's your take on on the best way to, to do that? I have, this is personal preference through experimentation, but I have found that whatever medium you have consumed the information from yields itself better to writing notes in whatever that medium is. So if you read from a physical book, I found it better, to, it transfers better if I just take notes on physical index cards and then I transfer them into Obsidian later. I usually reserve that for difficult books. So like the... The Go program, programming language book or a lot of the different books that I've been doing for research for the other nonfiction book that I've been writing. I usually reserve it for, you know, two, three hundred page nonfiction books where I will read the book, mark it up, translate to physical notes. Now, something like a blog post or like I ran through a Go tutorial today on on air handling. And so what I did was I just had an Obsidian page open and I took literature notes as I was going through and I had the blog post kind of split screen. I have a wide 34 inch monitor. And so I had this obsidian tutorial on the left and I had, sorry, I had the go tutorial on the left and I had the obsidian page note on the right, taking literature notes as I was going through. Um, and that works really well. So I'm just taking them as I'm going through. I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting snippet. I didn't know what an, uh, um, an autonomous function was. I'm going to note that. And then I would, I'll later review that digital note in obsidian and I will convert that into a permanent note. So there's probably a bunch, there's a bunch of garbage in there about different syntax for air handling, but that autonomous function, that is a piece that would be useful when I'm writing and useful for me to remember, because I'm not going to just, that's going to take some repetition. So I'll take that and I'll make it a permanent note and I'll integrate it into my knowledge base that, um, that I've already started to build for Golang. 
is the mantra, and forgive me, gents, because I haven't read the book, so maybe it's good that I have this outsider perspective and questioning. It, is the mantra, if I see the definition of autonomous function in somebody's blog post, to then rewrite that in my own words when I take it down as a note, or am I allowed to copy down whatever they've defined it as, and I can tweak it later? It depends. So if you want to understand it better, it's advised that you rewrite it in your own words. Um, but I've taken... I usually do it in a quote block. So in the mark, so Obsidian is all based by mark, Markdown. So there is a little quote feature that you can do. So if I've taken someone's words verbatim, uh, I'll just quote it. And, and t- it's very common for me to do that in technical writing because I'm not going to say it better than the guy who wrote the Go book. Um, so I'll take that clearer definition, but I'll usually put notes or add additional questions after it to further my own understanding inside that same note. I also think that it's fascinating what you just said about you're reading through something and there was a bunch of things that you already knew, um, maybe from other programming languages, but this one thing that was kind of new or maybe a specific feature of this language or maybe something that you're just coming across for the first time, like that stood out to you. Is that something that you feel would happen more often as you, you know, practice this like system of like knowledge management? Yes. So relevance has been the number one skill that's been sharpened by note taking. So since we've last spoken, I started diving into smart notes. I I added it up. I've taken 370 physical notes on index cards and I've taken over 400 digital notes. Um, And what's happened in that process is I'm getting a lot better at identifying what's relevant to me. You know, what what I didn't understand and where I could further my understanding and what's interesting. Um, because when I first started taking smart notes or just taking notes in general, like I wanted everything to translate. Like I didn't rely on, I was somewhat reluctant to rely on my own brain to remember anything. And I just wanted to translate whatever it was. Uh, and I was reading, rereading the shallows by Nicholas Carr, how the internet is affecting our brain. And he has a little chapter on there about the difference between like artificial memory and human memory uh, and how human memory is anti-fragile and it can never really like uh, there's a tweet from Naval that says it's kind of mind blowing how our minds can never be blown because they can always expand. And what I realized when I first started taking notes is that I was treating myself like a computer where I needed to do read, write operations, basically copy and paste everything I was consuming to a note. But as I've gotten acquainted to it, and I've realized that that is just not feasible with time and energy. Um, I've become more um, discerning and my, that my ability to determine what's relevant has improved over time. And my trust in my own intellect has improved where I'm like, you know what, I can kind of remember that or get back to it. It's not that important. And is that just a natural outcome of adopting this method? Because it sounds like you answered my question about what objections people would have. You know, I my first one is like, oh, wow, that sounds like a ton of work. Do I really want to do that? But it sounds like it became less work as you continue to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just like any skill. So at the beginning, you have this idea, like maybe the natural pro- curve is, oh, I've committed to take smart notes and I'm reading this thing and it seems important. So I'm going to take a note about it. And then over time, you start to go, oh, Maybe it's these like these intermediate points are not the important thing. The important thing is like the overall idea that I need to trigger and I need to take a note about that. And then over time, you're like, actually, this is something that I already know. 
And I don't need to take a note about that at all because it's something that I already know. Well, you start to develop a critical eye for what's worth keeping and what's not worth keeping. So like the definition of a, a, a go package, right? Like I thought that that was super important uh, in the beginning and like the go in it command, but those were so super fundamental that, you know, with repetition, they don't, they kind of go away, you know? Uh, and so like that would have been a good literature note, but it didn't quite make a good permanent note unless I'm going to go teach some go fundamentals. Uh, and so just over time that you develop that critical eye to be able to say, okay, no, these are the important pieces that I need to capture versus everything. Uh, and you also get better at, uh, paraphrasing, paraphrasing and summarizing people's work too. So that way you can make your own note. So I see the, I see the logic, like I, I get the logic, but I'm curious, like what, what do you think triggers the emotional? Okay. I could, I should do this for people when they, when they read the book and they go, okay, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. It seems like a lot of work, but okay. You know, any ideas there? I think the biggest one is it's a really great hedge against information overload. So uh, one of the problems that I had in the beginning, I tried to consume everything and translate it to permanent notes, but that was also because I was consuming so much information. And so one of the great realizations that you'll have as you start to take notes is you can't consume everything. And the rate that, at which you're consuming everything right now is r extremely wasteful because so much of it is just going right through your head. You know, and so it's, it forces you to slow down and to understand. And so if you're a believer in deliberate practice and you want to develop skills that matter, it helps you weed out the information that is irrelevant and helps you better digest the information that is relevant for you. So that would be the biggest sell for me is that it helps alleviate the anxiety of information overload by helping you have a better discernment for what's relevant and allowing you to better digest and to break down that complicated information into something that's usable and to at the same time improving your own understanding. So you're going to get more bang for your buck for the time that you do put in and less anxiety because you can easily identify what's not relevant to you. I mean, in my mind, that's like two amazing like career and job skills, right? Like that you've just identified first, like the ability to like more quickly consume technical information and see what's important, like what jumps out, what's different from what you already know. And then two, to kind of store that information in a way that you can you know, go back and remember and remind yourself. And then I guess there's a third, which is eventually generate some, you know, publishing, be it a blog post or article or, or something, you know, for, you know, maybe it's just a, a PowerPoint, you know, presentation to your team to like tell them about something interesting that you found and, and be seen as a little bit more of a, a thought leader, you know, in your organization. Like all of those things are important for career development and, just this one kind of process and practice can help drive all three of those things, maybe. Absolutely. And, and note-taking is the deliberate practice of writing. You know, uh, you know, in this remote first world, written communication is extremely important. And every time you take a note, you're practicing your skills to write and to effectively communicate what you're learning and your ideas. Writing a blog post is no, no small thing. It can have tremendous, massive impact. And that's something that I've seen over and over again in my career. It started with the PowerShell blog, and then it started with the self-published, and then led to a self-published book that then got me into the door at Microsoft. Uh, and the blog posts that I wrote prior were what connected me with the individual that gave me the recommendation to get into Microsoft because of the book I wrote. So writing online and writing in general is uh, extremely valuable skill. Yeah, no doubt about that. What I want to know is, 
you got into note taking and then you honed the process, but you actually ended up writing a book about that instead of finishing Reclaim first. So how did that happen? And how do you as an author decide, okay, I actually need to shift just slightly and focus on this instead. So if I'm honest, it was publishing. It was probably a distraction in some ways, right? Where I allowed myself to do this, but I had just, I had a lot of sunk costs in it. I'd spent probably seven months like rereading the book, implementing a physical version of it. I have four or five different vaults now that I've attempted to implement it in various forms and kept running into friction and kept redesigning kind of just like any software team would redesign their apps. I kept doing that with the vault. Uh, And so I had some sunk costs there, but I also just from talking to people and seeing their excitement, I got some good feedback that it was worthwhile to pursue that. Um, The other thing though was while learning, switching into a writing profession from the engineering profession, I had so much ground to cover as far as like growing and developing as a writer and note taking I saw as a critical foundation for that. And so I thought that it would be, and it proved to be beneficial for me to pause the writing. Um, and so I still kind of read and did research and took and was still practicing the note taking the nonfiction, but I stopped for a little bit. Uh, and then I wrote the smart notes and then I took that and I would jump back to the nonfiction and write it. So usually I'm kind of, I'm more or less single, single track mind, <laughs> single threaded, I'll be doing the project and then I'll realize that I'm missing a skill set. I'll pause. I will go do some meta learning on whatever that is. Uh, right now I'm actually reading a book called The Craft of Research. So I'm realizing that I have a gap a gap in how I form arguments in my non uh, nonfiction writing. And so I'm reading that to better understand how I can use uh, research to form an argument. And so I'm pausing the writing and reading that book. Uh, and I did the same thing for smart notes. And that's why I decided, I just decided to hit publish uh, on what I had created. And I used writing as a way to help me further understand uh, the note-taking philosophy or methodology. One of the things that I think that we haven't really talked about as far of, as this methodology is concerned is maybe this is a little bit too heavy, but it's like in mathematics, there's graph theory, right? Which is the nodes and the connections between the nodes are just as important, right? So when you write a note, you're supposed to like maybe say, oh, and this is connected to this other idea that I also had. And it reminds me of this other thing that I also wrote over here. And I'm just wondering if you found that you were building out this graph of heavily connected nodes of notes that kind of spurred you to go, oh, I've built this out so much that must mean that I need to publish something in this. That, that was a fascinating piece because, uh, the book started, so I've originally took about, I think it took me 20 hours to write my first blog post, which was 3000 words, um, around 3000 words. And then I, I was running in some, some friction and I got a lot of questions on that and there were really valid criticisms of that article. And so I went back and I did the physical version and then I transferred that in and I started to just rewrite the blog post and it ended up being like something like 5,000 or 6,000 words. And I was like, this isn't a blog post anymore. This is a book. Uh, But yes, it happened because I had this whole little section in my graph view of all these connected notes and smart notes was this giant bubble with, you know, over, I think over at the end of it, uh, I imported like 74 physical notes that I had translated into the digital version um, that I had written by hand as I reread the book for the fourth time. Uh, And so, yeah, that was, it definitely surfaced it to me in that way as well. And you were 
when you mention how you read books, you've actually dedicated a portion of your day to doing that, right? Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I remember hearing you talk about that at Amp Navigator recently, and I think you said you block off 20 or 30 minutes a day and just focus on that and shut out the distractions? I do. So I usually have... It's a, I'm constantly tinkering with this, but typically I'll read for an hour a day now. Um, but usually I have at least a 40 minute block in the morning that I dedicate to reading. So I wake up, I read, uh, and then I write or take notes or whatever else it is that I'm doing. And then I try to read as much as I can because it's, it's actually one of the few activities that I can do. So I don't have a smartphone, I have a light phone. And so what's replaced all that scrolling is reading. I constantly, when I'm with my family or on the weekends, I carry around whatever book I'm reading. And so it, it just travels with me through the house. And when my kids are not yelling at me to do something, I open it up and I read a couple of pages and I make some marks. Um, and so, but I do have dedicated time during the work week to, to do that. So usually right after my lunch hour, I'll take 30 minutes and I'll read. Um, that's moved on from the book that I'm reading to some kind of, usually an article or whatever it is that I push to Kindle. But yeah, I try to read for at least an hour a day um, combined. Most of that's done in the morning. And then I've switched from doing three notes a day. So I, I did do that. That's what they recommend in the How to Take Smart Notes is that you you try to make a daily habit and practice of the note-taking. I thought that was a lot of pressure to try and get the three permanent notes, especially if you try to put so much pressure on getting a good note. And so what I do is, um, this is a, a little tip that I took from Ryan Holiday and Robert Greene is what they do is they take all their notes, they mark up their literature notes in the book or what have you, however you want to bring yourself back to the knowledge that you thought was interesting in a book. And then you throw it on the bookshelf. So I have a perennial seller from Ryan Holiday sitting on my bookshelf. I just finished it four days ago. It's going to sit there for about a week or two. Uh, and I have a Kanban board with all the books that I'm interested in reading because I'm a freak like that, I suppose. Uh, but it has a little reminder no that says... thing is someone who likes to read uh, being a freak. There you go. A nerd. There we go. Put it that way. Nerd journey. It's suitable. Uh, but then in a week, I will take that off and in one morning session. So I wake up at five o'clock and I have about one and a half hours to two hours in the morning before my kids get up. And so I'll take that book off the shelf and I will just get as many permanent notes done as I can. And if that book takes me two or three mornings to process, so be it. But I've switched from two or three notes a day to just batching whatever it is that I'm reading. Um, but anything less than a book, like a research paper or a blog post, like I'll translate into a permanent note, you know, two or three permanent notes within a half hour, an hour tops. So I just process them in real time. And then anything longer, like a, you know, a, a normal two, 300 page book, I will batch. Now, are you reading one book at a time, Josh, or multiple books at a time? I read one book at a time, typically. Uh, I'll sometimes jump back and forth. I'll pause one and set it up, but I, I do typically read one at a time. It takes me about 10, on average, 10 days to get through a book. So this, it's interesting that you're talking about this because it so reminds me of what we talked, you know, one of the points that we talked about last time, which was um, Deep Work, right? The kind of Cal Newport book. And it seems like you've fused like t these two things together. Like I, I was so curious about you mentioning that you're carrying around uh, physical books. And I was thinking to myself, man, I just, you know, have everything in like a Kindle app or, you know, Google books app. But then Audible. you mentioned, you know, Audible is so difficult to highlight. It is you're like right. that. That is like, you know, I, I love Audible, but, you know, taking notes 
in the same format is basically like recording an audio note to yourself and that's tough to process then hearing about again your process of like hey i'm blocking off this time i mean this is all like foundational deep work stuff right yep so it's the fusion of these two things but then it sounds like you've added another stuff like you know how to read a book another book that's well a good point to your audiobooks is they're great for skimming right for yeah. systematic skimming so or our superficial reading i think is what how to read a book refers to it so i did that with think again with adam grant i listened to the audiobook mm-hmm. and then i went through and i found the sections that were most relevant and then i you know read you know read them marked them up and then i translated them with the deep work session to notes so i found that it's super useful to use deep work to batch all my note taking so i'll typically get somewhere from like good books will produce 20 to 30 notes and that'll take me two hours probably to write three hours to get the index cards and then i do another hour session where i type them into obsidian um, but that rigorous process is is worth it to me and what i'm doing i wouldn't recommend that for everybody that you know like i'm trying to write a book that tries to crystallize a lot of this knowledge and condense it down. And so the quality of them is very important to me, but for like my Golang stuff um, where I'm just learning and it's more fluid, I don't have those rigorous rituals in place. How long is a note? If you don't mind me asking. Mine are pretty short now because I like to, to stack them. I started my notes for like 500 words. It was, it was ridiculous. So it's been a very long learning process for me, but right now um, I tried I try to follow what can fit on an index card because that's what you can snapshot kind of store in your brain. And then it also is a good size for obsidian to be able to have like six or five or whatever it is on your screen and look at one time. Uh, so that's about a hundred and I actually, this is how far I went with this. So I took a, a physical index card, one that was recommended, um, you know, like the, I forget the particular size. There you go. Four by five. And I wrote as many words with lipsum text as I could on it. And then I counted the words. And so I can write about 144 words with my horrible handwriting on an index card. So that was my new max for an index card was 144 words. And so that's typically the rough gauge that I have for an index card or for a note. Um, Some are longer if they're like quotes or something like that or five questions at the end. Um, But then I just kind of in my mind simulate that that's the back of the card versus the front. So that's kind of like this is a concept. This is an idea. This is an argument, and I'm summarizing it down into 150 words. Right. Got it. Okay. That's really helpful. I I was kind of trying to do the same thing, you know, but then I started, like, writing these notes where it was like, oh, and, you know, here's my two, two main arguments about this idea, and each one of them would be around 300 words, and I was like, this is too long, right? And then, That's a so, newsletter or a blog post. <laughs> right, right. It's like, okay, I need to split in this into two. Right. And then how do I do that? Like conceptually? Yeah, that's fascinating. I've got a, a blog post queued up right now. It's called uh, Taking Notes Became a Full-Time Job, So I Stopped. Why I Stopped Taking Smart Notes and Started Taking Notes. Uh, and it's it's meant to be, t- uh, you know, trying to kind of title because I wanted to surface a lot of these a lot of these failures that I've had and misinterpretations um, that I've had as I've tried to take them and putting too much pressure on the smart note and the 500 words was ridiculous. Like don't their notes, they're not blog posts. So a lot of that stuff is in there. I still definitely follow the methodology, um, but I just wanted to service a lot of my own failures. And so that's what that article would be about. It's being edited right now. So it should be, 
Should be live in a couple weeks, but we'll make sure and include it in the show notes for sure. Well, thank you. As well as a link for people to buy the book, of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. Gum Gumroad or yep, Josh Duff, yep. Duffney.io. Yep, it's on Gumroad. Gum yep. And it's how to take smart notes with Obsidian. In Obsidian, yep. In Obsidian. So maybe we could, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about the process itself, but maybe we could focus a little bit on like the actual content of your book. Right. So there's this author wrote this book called How to Take Smart Notes. And you've written like this book, um, at least in in my reading, it's 22 pages called How to Take Smart Notes in Obsidian. So what is the focus of your book and in contrast to the How to Take Smart Notes book? So I'm a technical writer by trade. So the the book that I wrote is is meant to be an implementation guide for you taking that philosophy and using it in a digital tool called Obsidian. Uh, Obsidian.md is the website for that. And that is it's a knowledge management system or tool that is based on Markdown uh, that allows you to link your notes together um, in a way that you would with web pages. Uh, so that that is the premise. It's an implementation guide. So you know I don't try to convince you of the notes other than a lead in the very beginning. I don't try to dive into the history of it too much. I really just try to take the physical um, version that he describes in the book and translate that for you in a digital version, one possible digital version uh, way in Obsidian. That's really nice. cool. So I, I checked Obsidian is free for personal use, I believe. It is. Great. And there are commercial uh, licenses as well available, I believe. And you mentioned already that there is like a, like a, a mobile client, like that you can run on your phone if you're somewhere and you need to dash off like a, a quick note. It does. I personally don't understand the obsession with the mobile apps. Like a lot of these mobile apps are really new for this knowledge management system. So a lot of these have been desktop apps for a long time. And just in the last year or two, they've become mobile, which I get it's on your phone. The convenience is awesome. But like I said, I don't have a smartphone and I just write in a little notebook and then I transfer what's relevant. Those layers of friction are actually super helpful for me to make sure that I'm not just shoving too much horrible uh, just notes inside of my knowledge management system. Um, so that's one thing that I would just caution people with the mobile app is just be careful. <laughs> I think it, it kind of comes in conflict with like your deep work, deep work philosophy, right? Which is you shouldn't be doing too much on a mobile phone, like with the chance of being interrupted and distracting you from doing other important things. I, I also am fascinated by this idea that you're, kind of pushing forward, which is, you know, taking more notes is not better, right? Taking better notes is better. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that is kind of, I don't want to say blowing my mind, but it, it's like, it's a truism, which should be obvious, but somebody needs to tell you about it, you know, and then it's revealed and you're like, oh yeah, like my goal here is not to record every single thing that I ever know. In, in a knowledge management system, it is to remind myself of the things that I need to be reminded of and maybe reveal connections to other things that I know, not every single memory that I ever had, every single thing I ever read. There's this great uh, motivational video that I watched with Jordan Peterson. He was talking about the use, why memory is useful, right? Like the purpose of memory and the purpose of memory really isn't to remember, it's to forget, like if you could imagine the the tragedy that would happen if you could remember everything, 
you know, like how long that recall would take. And so you got to keep that in mind when you're taking your notes. If you have all this garbage that you're sifting through and you're recalling, it would be like having a photographic memory and having to reload all of that in and try to sift through it as you try to recall this particular thing. Uh, what helps me with that is I have kind of two purposes to my notes, you know, two main drivers. One is the book that I'm working on and trying to crystallize my ideas and arguments in there. And the other one is for learning, like a catalyst for learning. So a couple months into my job at Microsoft, the opportunity came up to switch from what I'd known for a decade, which is this DevOps space, Terraform, Ansible, Infrastructure as Code, to go and do Golang, which they're loosely connected. But now I'd be writing documents in a language I don't know, uh, in a community that I'm not connected to, and in a discipline that I am unfamiliar. I'm only adjacent to because I've had a systems engineering background um, and now I'm more developer focused where I, you know, I could be writing articles about web apps. I don't have any context. Uh, and so I really need something to help me learn faster. And that's the purpose of smart notes when I take notes for Golang and my work. Uh, but then also it shifts when I go to read the nonfiction stuff because I'm seeking to understand these arguments uh, so that I can reconstruct and tell a story through a narrative. And so I have that lens, that razor, so to speak, when I take notes, uh, depending on what it is that I'm consuming. Uh, and so that's important to have also is, you know, why are you taking these notes? Is it just to record that you've known something? What are you going to do with it afterwards? The Golang ones are so I can learn faster. And the nonfiction ones are so I can build a compelling argument and narrative. Got it. That kind of challenge sounds right up your alley, Josh. No fear, right? Got the good behind me, so that'll keep me going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like that. That that also, you know, is another great thing to keep in mind while people, you know, pursue something is why are they pursuing it? What is their goal? And I think it also maybe helps to crystallize something you said before, which was, you know, the pace at which you are consuming uh, information and writing notes about it should not be the pace that everybody is doing it because you're doing it for a specific goal. Like one of them is that you have this daytime job, which is to produce technical documentation. So your pace of learning and content development or, you know, content publishing is at a higher rate than just maybe the everyday person who's out there. Right. So each person who's going to implement a system like this needs to understand like the rate at which the goals with which they're trying to do, like, you know, learn X, you know, publish maybe a blog every, you know, Y months or weeks or days. And that should drive the rate at which they're consuming other people's content and writing notes and then doing the writing. I assume that's the implication of what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, they'll use, Twitter as their public notebook too. Uh, mm -hmm. And so really the point I guess that I'd like to make is just allow writing. So writing is thinking and allow that to slow you down to understand what it is that you're consuming much better. Ooh, you said, so that's like not the first time you've said that writing is thinking. Can you maybe expand on just that idea for a bit? Sure. So whenever you literature notes are a really great way to experience that. So if you're no matter what it is that you're reading, so we, read a page, pause, and then try to write a sentence that kind of summarizes what that is. And you'll find out how many gaps 
in your knowledge there are. Uh, and in that process, through writing it, you will actually start to think more clearly about that argument. And so that that's kind of the best example that I can give where writing is thinking. And it's really, I've been playing around in completely reorganizing the vault that I have for the nonfiction book that I'm writing. And I have over 200 notes in there that I've really refined and moving them around and rewriting them is starting to help me figure out what the argument is that it's going to make. And then all of a sudden the chapter title will pop into my head. Uh, And so that's another example where I'm, I'm meaning where the notes and the writing is the thinking. Uh, Feynman had a great quote in the how to take smart notes too, where he said, a journalist reporter came into his office and he said, it's all great that you have all these, this documentation of your thinking. And he responded back, no, no, th- those are my thinking. Without writing it on paper, I wouldn't be able to think. Because something that is so complex um, or that's difficult for you to understand, it requires you to write it in order to stand back from it enough so that you can further your understanding. Documenting the structure and process of your thoughts and the arguments and the conflicts that you went through to get to a point. Yeah, it's easy to fool yourself when you're in your head. You're like, oh, I kind of know that. So a good example for me was service principles. So I had to write about service principles. It was my first articles with Go. And I've been using service principles for, you know, years and years and years uh, in the DevOps space, you know, just with Terraform or whatever. Of course, you got to create a service principle to be able to authenticate. I went to go and write about the authentication library for our package for Go. And I'm like, how does service principle work? It turns out there's two parts to it, you know, and like one of them transfers, the, you know, different forest and all this good stuff or whatever. Um, not forest and Azure, but, you know, different subscriptions, right? Uh, and I didn't know all that. I had to go and learn that, but I'd been using service principles for probably seven years. And so that that was the point in case where the writing is a thinking and it identified my gaps uh, in, in writing. And so I had to go and learn more. Ah, so writing is thinking is very close to like this other thing that we've heard before, which is teaching is understanding. Yeah, same. Teaching is repackaging. That's what Don Jones said. (laughs) You know, what's interesting, Josh, you you mentioned people could have this idea in their head and they're like, oh, I can write about that. Yeah, you can't. I've tried it. You know, open the Blake page and see. I've thought a number of times, oh, that'd make a great blog. And I'll write four sentences and go, Okay, that's not enough for a blog. Tell you, John, that you shared a little bit with me about this idea of Zettelkasten and Smart Notes, and I still didn't read the book How to Take Smart Notes going into this show. I guess I'm a slacker, but it was really interesting to at least hear what Josh had to say about the methodology and how he implemented it, specifically that critical eye to determine what to keep. That sounds like a difficult task to me. Yeah, I really liked his real world advice on how to develop that because I don't think that that is that. I mean, it's certainly something that's covered, you know, it's like, hey, this is what will happen to you eventually over time. You'll develop a sense for what's actually important. But that's not, you know, there's no like, oh, just do this and you will immediately start to be able to do that, like, you know, out of the gate. Like, that's like a skill 
that you develop over time by doing this. And it definitely happened to me. I was trying to use the Smart Notes methodology to do our notes about um, deep work, those episodes. And at first, I was taking way too many notes. And towards the end, I was able to really pare that down to the to the most important things to tell the story that we were trying to tell. And I could also tell that I would have taken notes differently if it wasn't for an outline of a podcast about the topic. If it was just for myself, I would have done fewer of the interstitial, you know, oh, and this transition comes here. This this naturally leads here. It would have been a little bit more about just the end results. And that's just something that comes from experience. Like you do it too detailed one time and you realize, oh, I got super bogged down and it got way too detailed. So, um, you know, just to hear Josh talk about that, you know, similar process, you know, obviously listening back to it, I feel like I got way too excited about that to, you know, just to realize, oh, you know, I'm not unique in this and it's not something that was just me. And, you know, I honestly don't blame anybody for not reading that book. It it actually is a quick read, a very easy read. And I still need to probably, you know, get uh, maybe a reading group together to like read through it uh, with other people just because it was just so blazingly obvious to me that this was the right thing to do that I need to have other people, you know, read it, read along and with more of a critical ear or critical eye to, to maybe like uh, temper my enthusiasm for it. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. The reading group, it made me think back to my days in the classroom. And it seems to me that this, that kids in school often struggle with what to write down as notes. And it seems like a lot of the time what the teacher is giving them is the permanent note. Right. And, that, and maybe they're not going through the process of refining that as much as maybe they need to. Like that just jumped out at me based on what we're talking about here. And I'm like, oh, no wonder kids don't know how to take notes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very true. It's like the um, if you try to jump straight to the permanent note without the kind of literature note, the idea that like, well, here's kind of what was, you know, said, you know, in very rough ideas. That's a thinking process. It's a process of filtering down what you've read to try to figure out what is important to write about. And then once you've done that process and you go back and then you try to rewrite those ideas in your own words, like that is the process where you really digest it down to say, oh, this is what is truly important for me, you know, that I really took away from this. And this is what I want to keep for myself. That makes total sense. How about that intentional reading schedule and the fact that Josh continues to learn from books? It seems like the more people we talk to on Nerd Journey, the more you hear good book recommendations from people, like whether it's a frequency illusion or not. Yeah. There are so many people learning from really good books out there, and I think that intentional reading and then that trying to take good notes from those books to carry with you is extremely helpful. Yeah, yeah, that I think harkens back to this idea that for me that the thing that Josh said that really like digested that down was, you know, the idea that writing is thinking, you know, I found that pretty profound. Like 
And I think that you and I were just talking about off mic about the speed at which we can actually effectively learn a bunch of stuff by reading a bunch of books. Yes, we were. And, and actually retain that information, right? How difficult that can be. There's a strong argument to be made that it's the speed with which we can rearticulate the ideas that we're learning from those books into our own words that in writing that, and that is the speed at which you are actually able to learn, right? So if you consume something by reading it and you can't rearticulate it in your own words, you can't write that down. The chances that you're actually going to retain that are pretty slim, right? It's that process of rearticulating it in your own words and recording it. That is the process of actually thinking. And then, you know, man, that volume of books that, that Josh was consuming, which I think, you know, goes back to what you were saying about how intentionally he was reading is like, and he even said, he's like, not everybody needs to read this many books and not everybody needs to like consume this much information. It's just happens to be his job. But I like in listening back to that again, I was like, actually, I think that as information workers, we are consuming stuff all the time. It just might not happen to be in book form. It might be mm -hmm. blog posts or a podcast episode or a white paper or uh, some documentation and video training. There's all, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, webinar, like there's all kinds of sources for this information that we're consuming and we have to consume a ton of it. It just so happens that he's somebody who has to consume it, you know, largely in book form. And that might be fairly unique in the industry that we're in. But the rest of us, you know, we still have to constantly be learning. And honestly, it's a little bit rougher to take notes from like a webinar, right? Because it's sure. not in written form. You know, you have to go back and rewind and re-listen instead of just reread a passage. That's rougher. That's much, much Get rougher. Get your screen capture tool on and, okay, I'm going to screen capture this one, take a few things down. Yeah. Or do yeah. I do it on paper? That's a totally different discussion. Or do you have a tool to like that will do a transcript for you? And oh, yeah. I'll tell you, you if you have a great transcript, that does that is not the same thing as a cleanly written white paper. Nope. Because the way we speak is different from the way that we write to communicate and to teach. You know, very few of us are able to rearticulate things in clean prose. So it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. You were also like talking about batching too. Like that was something that you mentioned, I think off mic. Yeah, he was, he liked to batch the notes, you know, the notes that he had taken in, in the form of a literature note if memory serves and transitioning those from the written form to digital form in Obsidian right. and rewriting. But he would do that in a standard chunk of time. Mm -hmm. not, you know, independent of when he would, would read the books. I, I thought that was interesting, almost as a way to, at least for Josh, to revisit the information and encode it a bit better in his memory. Right. I think there's probably a recommendation in Sanka Aaron's book to do it within a few days or even a week. Otherwise, you kind of lose the context of the literature note that you're taking. But I think it does make sense to not try to do it all at once because it's just too much like batching. I think the way that Josh mentioned is it ended up being almost exactly what I did. For example, again, 
you know, when we were doing notes on deep work, like I would read and highlight on one day and then transcribe, you know, look at the, look at the highlights and create literature notes from the highlights on a different day. Or even if I read it the same day, it would be, you know, one session like early in the day when I was reading and highlighting and one session later in the day when I was creating literature notes and then a separate session when I was creating permanent notes. So that batching idea, I I just really ag- agree with you that it's like something that I don't think that I had articulated in my own and which Josh had like not only like understood and, you know, the intrinsic value of, but was able to articulate, you know, as the specific thing, like you batch your notes. Yeah. And it's a single threaded process, right? You're not switching back and forth between reading and note taking at that point in time. You know, maybe you are when you first start to take the notes, but when you're doing this rewriting and translating that he did, it's a, it's single threaded. It's focusing on one task and it's more of your attention. I, I think that's part of the reason that it cements the things a little bit harder in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to that point you made earlier about the critical eye and, and what you're going to actually keep mm-hmm. notes on is probably the same thing. Like the, the more experience you get, you know, the fewer notes that you actually take. I think he actually said this, you know, it was like at the beginning you're trying to capture everything and then you realize, well, actually I know all this other, this stuff from some other thing, which means that I should probably have a permanent note on it already. So unless it's adding something to the permanent notes I already have, you know, it's not worth taking another note on it. The thing that I'm going to take a note on is the new stuff yeah. or the conflicting stuff, right? It's like, here's something on that similar topic and it's the opposite conclusion from what I had before which is interesting and you want both of those things in your notes to kind of have a discussion with yourself, you know, about which one you believe or if it's different context or what about it is causing that conflict. Yeah. I feel like if we don't stop now, then we're going to end up making a trilogy out of our comments. (laughs) It's very, very true. Because we have to get ready for part two coming next week. We'll learn more about how Josh is doing at Microsoft and how the smart notes methodology impacted the book that he's working on right now. And a little bit more about digital minimalism. Nice. I'm looking forward to that. And Hey, don't forget to subscribe to Josh's newsletter, the knowledge worker. He has a lot of great thoughts that he's publishing out there. Some of these learnings, failures that you can consume at your own pace. I found it extremely deep and profound. I I immediately subscribed. Yep. Always look forward to getting that one in my inbox. Yep. Anything else before we get out of here? No, sir. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at V Journeyman, for Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off. Adios.